Hello everyone, I'm The Touring, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Lore of the Apocalypse. On this show, I'm going to explore the lore of Werewolf the Apocalypse. With version 5 of Werewolf and a couple of official video games all right around the corner, I thought it was a great time to refresh my memory on over two decades of lore while inviting others along for the ride. If you like what I'm doing or have any questions, feel free to hit me up on either Twitter or Patreon, both of which I'm the underscore Toring, and that's T-O-E-R-I-N-G. That's enough for me, let's get to it. Good evening, Cub. Good to see you again. Grab a spot by the fire and we'll get started on tonight's lesson. As I teased the last time we met, we'll be talking about the tribe that has gone through more changes than perhaps any other, and not just in their name. You see, unlike the previous tribes that we have followed, the Glasswalkers didn't have a member of that first pack guy created. Long ago, before the beginning of history, a pack of Garu was created and given a task much like any other pack. This pack was a little bit different, though, because their task wasn't to capture some buried spirit or even to travel into the Umber to search for a pathstone. No, their task was different and quite unique. They were to go and watch men, while another pack was sent to watch wolves, a much more boring task as it would turn out. This particular pack was given the name Warders of Apes, or just the Warders. For many years, the warders watched over man and their strange antics. They watched as man gathered berries and chased after animals. These pitiful apes were far from a threat to the Garu or Gaia, and yet they continued to watch them as that was the task that they had been assigned and the purpose of the pack. After watching the humans for a while, the warders realized that they may be onto something as they used wood and stone to make up for their lack of natural weapons. Soon, rather than sprinting after rabbits, they were hurling small stones at them and taking home more meat. As the warders watched, they realized that the humans couldn't have come up with this on their own, and moving closer, they noticed that the tools themselves were aiding. The warders crossed over into the spirit world and met with the spirits of the rocks and stones that they found there. They asked these spirits if they would teach them the same gifts that they were teaching to the humans. The spirits of rock and stone agreed, so long as the Garu wouldn't discard them. The Garu, of course, readily agreed to this. Only after this promise was the second half of their demands made known. They wished to fly like the birds before they would teach the warders anything. The pack leader knew that they had no way to fulfill this requirement, but they had given their word, so they asked for time to work on it. With their agreement pending, the pack returned to the physical world and set about trying to fulfill their oath with little to no success. The spirits of the air were reluctant to help as they looked down upon the stones. They would just drop like, well, a stone. They sought the aid of other Garu, but even the most powerful Arun was only able to hurl a small stone a short distance. Once again, they found their way forward by fulfilling their mission and watching over man. They saw that they were chipping off small pieces of stone and tying them to sticks. These sticks were then fit to another stick that sinew stretched between the ends. When that sinew was pulled, the larger stick bent into a deep curve, and when released, the stone and stick soared through the air and struck a bird from the very sky. The warders had found their answer, 
and all quickly began using bows and arrows shortly thereafter. Their oath to the stone fulfilled, the spirits returned the promised favors and ensured that the arrows of the warders struck with great might. Ward of the warders' new magic spread, and soon all Garu were using bows and arrows. As the apes would make their tools, they would leave little pieces of stone that would call out to the warders, and their supply of tools grew as well. It was around this time that the humans figured out that within stone and wood there were fire spirits that could be freed. The warders watched both in awe of their cunning and fear of the power they had unlocked, for they had no control over fire's power to consume things. These human theurges that we now call mages were of great concern to them, and not just for their fire spirit calling. Around this time, the spirits of rock called to the warders and told them that the apes were calling upon them to assemble into new shapes, much like the spirit of mountain called lesser stones to them. These new shapes were odd but fascinating, like caves, but without a mountain. The spirits of the mountains were upset by the fact that man was creating cave spirits without them, and it fell to the warders to negotiate a peaceful outcome. As time rolled on, the warders continued to stay close to man, learning from him while calming the spirits that his actions upset. As other Garus saw this, they began to follow the pact, and by extension man, so that they too could learn these secrets. In this way, the single small pack was soon an entire tribe, creating a house-like glyph as their symbol. These advances in human knowledge didn't go unnoticed, however, and the glasswalkers believed that the fear of this new magic was one of the main reasons that the Imperium was started. The warders hold that they were not nearly a large enough tribe, or any way strong enough, to really do anything directly to stop the Imperium, but after much deliberation came up with a plan. They began to mate with the humans and began to claim them as kinfolk in order to protect them. In addition to this, they revealed the Imperium to other kinfolk tribes and encouraged them to sacrifice troublemakers to the Garu as a means of appeasing them. When the children of Gaia stepped forward to end the Imperium, they were supported not only by the Black Furies, but also by the Warders of Men. With the Imperium finally over, the Watchers joined men as they built cities to protect against the beasts of the wilderness, some saying that they actually worked with the vampires in these cities. But who knows what the truth is when dealing with such ancient history. Either way, the Warders moved into these cities and claimed them like the other Garu claimed forests and mountains. They worked and learned alongside man, but no longer shared his secrets with the other tribes. Commerce, the machine, and technology led man forward at a blistering pace, and the warders ran along at his side, learning of that these things all had spirits of their own, which they could learn from. Through the Dark Ages, the Renaissance, and into the Industrial Revolution, they ran along, taking the name Iron Riders as they shift to riding the rails that spread like a web across the United States and then the world. When the World Wars shook the foundation of civilization, many Garu stepped from the forest for the first time to find cities of glass and steel waiting for them, and within them the strange Garu that they called the ones who walked among the glass. This was, of course, a bit too stuffy of a name for the former warders, and instead they took up the name Glasswalkers.
In the modern world, the glasswalkers aren't the ones on the cutting edge, designing social media pages or web apps, but they are the ones who are investing in them. They know when they are inflated because the machine and computer spirits tell them, allowing them to keep on the next new thing quicker than anybody else. Through this, they have amassed a fortune, but also a much closer relationship to the weaver than any other tribe. This connection leads to the more conservative tribes distrusting and even hating them. Enough about their history, though. Let's move on to their organization. Like their country and wilderness living cousins, the Glasswalkers have cairns. But unlike them, they are mostly in the city, and more specifically in what is probably the tallest building in the city. They take a cue from the corporate world and have a CEO or chairman that interacts with VPs and all the way down as their tribal structure. Moots and rights take the form of board meetings and team building exercises. Each meeting is ended by every guard in attendance shaking the hand of the one to their left, starting with that chairman or VP, thus reminding them that they are all equal. For a tribe so closely tied to humanity, the Glasswalkers actually have a fairly poor relationship with their kinfolk. The jobs that most tribes assign to them raising money, watching human towns and cities, interacting with humans, are all things that the glasswalkers themselves do. Combine this with the fact that their cairns are in skyscrapers and hard to defend, and you end up with kinfolk that are pushed out, away from the true heart of the sept. To top it all off, the number of wolfkin is so small as to be almost non-existent in the tribe. Due to this, their third breed children are treated among the best once they undergo their forced change. Prior to that though, their lives are a living hell as they are quite literally kept locked up in the basement of the building to make sure no one sees them. All of this leads to their tribal totem, cockroach. No animal is more closely tied with survival and adaptation, and the spirit is much the same. Cockroach saw how messy humanity was, but saw this as an advantage to be exploited. A totem of cunning, he teaches his children to not pass up on the scraps, for they pile up into a mountain over time. In summary, the Glasswalkers have spent the most time of any Garu with humanity and the Weaver, and while many of the more traditional tribes detest this, it has led them to being the kings of the cities and technology able to speak to and control the spirits of machines themselves they can make amazing hackers mechanics and inventors led by cockroach they grew from a single pack to a full tribe intent on using the advances of those humans and the weaver to at least survive the apocalypse war even if they can't win it outright but that's enough for tonight next week we'll go into pretty much the exact opposite tribe, the Red Talons. Until then, tuck in and don't let the worm bite. That's it for this week's episode of Lore of the Apocalypse. If you have any comments or suggestions, reach out to me on either Twitter or Patreon by searching for the underscore toe ring. Thank you all for listening, but a very special thanks goes to my patrons, Bambi Parsons, The Primogen, and Alex M. Without your support, the battle for Gaia would have already been lost.